Well, if you would, turn to 2 Peter, chapter 3 is where we are. Just a reminder, we will not be meeting next week. I will be heading out to Israel with a tour, so we will resume on April the 11th. So make note of it. I'll send out some reminders as well, but uh, I fear that there'll probably be one or two cars in the parking lot next uh, Thursday morning. Yes, Bill. Well, you show up. All right. You're going to have your own prayer meeting then. Um, I would covet your prayers. My colleague, who I've traveled with for years, uh, had a stent and had to have a heart procedure last week. And his heart is not well. And now they're saying he's going to have to have a pacemaker or fibrillator. The, the left is not communicating with the right. So he's dogged me, and I have 40 people I'm taking. So just cover your prayers and some of the logistics on that. We leave, as I said, next week. So I don't, is there anyone in that group in this? Yeah, Ron is. Ron Page is going. So Ron is going to do all the dirty work that normally Rich has me do. So it's marvelous. Ron's going to carry my bags. We're going to change the roles here. This is going to be great. So Rich and I used to have this joke. He plays the good cop and I play the bad cop on these trips. So uh, you can be the bad cop now. They never liked the bad cop. Well, I thought you would appreciate this. This, is, this has nothing to do with Second Peter, but uh, these were some responses that some applicants put down in interviewing for a job. Uh, the skill set, I'm a perfectionist with a keen eye for detail. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, I love it. Being bilingual in three languages. <laughs> uh, yeah, got it. Uh, and then compensation, this one's great. Current salary, 36000 Salary desired, 223000 <laughs> I think they maybe left a, added a zero. Uh, interest, this is great. My three biggest hobbies are cars, racquetball, golf, and reading. <laughs> Honestly, I like doing nothing. Just the perfect person you want to hire <laughs> for your workplace. And then I enjoy cooking Chinese and Italians. Uh, and then finally, references, Claire. So there you are. <laughs> well, <clears throat> there's some final words. Those are initial words to get into a, in a position. Uh, Peter's giving us some of the final words as he is about to depart from this world as a martyr. And as we've, we've seen, as we've journeyed through this book, there's an opening where he establishes the truth of the gospel and, and their relationship to it, what Christ has done for them, based upon the accuracy of the Word of God. He, he's doing that because as he moves to chapter 2, he's going to deal with the false teachers that are in the camp. He deals with their lifestyle. And moving into chapter 3, he deals with uh, their rhetoric, uh, the denial of the eschaton, trying to strip Christianity of embarrassing details. And with that, an immoral lifestyle, right? We, we journey through that. And as he closes out this letter, he has four commands uh, to the church. Notice in verse 8, this is, I'm sorry, verse uh, 14. Actually, you need to see verse 13. We studied it last week, but it's the springboard into 14. 13 says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness truly resides. And the righteousness here, I believe it refers back to Christ in chapter 1. Therefore, verse 14, this is new, this is closing out the letter. Dear friends, he's used that phrase already in verse 1 of chapter 3, used it in verse 8, 
and he's going to use it again here in chapter 3. Since you are waiting, and notice how that ties in with verse 13, waiting for these things, and what are these things? A new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness resides. Strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish when you come into his presence. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our dear Paul, our brother Paul, wrote to you. That's intriguing. We're going to get back to that. According to, and by the way, notice he says, I wrote to you. He also wrote to you. And you're going, wait a minute, how can that be? We'll talk about this, but most likely our recipients, Paul, we know, wrote to the churches in Asia Minor. And we know from 1 Peter, that's also an area where Peter is writing. According to the wisdom given to him, speaking of these things in all his letters, some things in these letters are hard to understand, things the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they also do to the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, and there it is again, since you have been forewarned, and in the Greek the you is emphatic, you, therefore, dear friends, have been forewarned. Be on your guard so that you do not get led astray by the error of these unprincipled men. That's the same description used of the men of Sodom earlier in 2 Peter. All right? So they're immoral, they're ungodly, these unprincipled men, and fall from your firm grasp of the truth. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the honor both now and on that eternal day. Let's unpack this. It's so powerful here, these Final four commands. He kind of boom, 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 delivers these as he's wrapping up the letter. The first of these commands, as he gives it, spells it out, is you need to be right with God. You need to be spotless and blameless, right? And it, it serves as a great contrast with the false teachers. Turn back to chapter 2. Look at this, chapter 2, verse 13. When Peter was describing these false teachers, he said, Suffering harm at the wages for their harmful ways by considering it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are stains and blemishes. Like, he said, don't be like them. You need to be spotless. You need to be blameless. And it reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn back to his previous epistle. In verse 19... 1 Peter 1.19 says, By precious blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, namely Christ. So not are you not to be like the false teachers. Instead, you're to be like Christ, who is spotless, who is blameless. Right? That's how we're to be. So he draws this contrast uh, and, and, and who we need to be like. And so go back to verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, We're to be spotless and blameless. And previously, he says, striving to be found at peace. And that is a loaded term. Uh, I just heard from one of my colleagues back in Israel, a company we use, and he always starts it off, Shalom, David, peace. Uh, and Peter's saying that, that's what we need to be found doing. In fact, he writes, and, and I, well, I quote from a commentator there in your notes, this peace is not some form of emotional tranquility. Not some, you know, some trance that some guy's going into, but rather the objective condition of being reconciled with God and being found acceptable before Him. That's what he's, he's talking about. This is the kind of peace that we need. Um, striving to be found at peace before God, 
blameless and spotless. Questions on verse 14? So the first command he's, he's delivering is you need to be right with God. Again, he's staring death in the face. He's passing the baton literally off to this, these believers. And he's saying, you've got to be spotless. Don't be like the false teachers. Yeah, here. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think he's because it, it falls right on the hills of verse thirteen. In fact, the term for waiting is is repeated earlier in verse thirteen, as well as uh, what are they to wait for in verse thirteen? Yeah. So yeah, new heavens, new earth, the eschaton. Oh yeah, all the way through because remember. It's just, in fact, how does the end, how does the doxology end? Do you notice this? It doesn't go, you expect him to say, and I'm showing my cards for later, but to him be the honor both now and he would expect with the doxology to be what? Like the rest of the New Testament. Forever and ever, right? Uh-uh. How does he end it? The day of eternity. The very thing the false teachers are denying. The day of the Lord that's coming. And that's what we're waiting for. Right? Thank goodness this isn't our home. Thank goodness there's a, an end to this game, right? Yeah, Kyle. I think primarily he's talking with Christ, with God. It's obviously going to spill out in how we interact with one another. But I think first and foremost he's thinking this way. I think based upon what he says earlier in chapter 1. Um, yeah, that's, that's good. And, and scholars will debate it, but most will argue that he's talking about peace with God, not with others. It, it's a fallout, no doubt. You, if, you, you know, if you hate your brother, you, you hate Christ. You can't do both. Hate, I mean, you can't hate your brother and love God. They, they don't wash. So... Be right with God. The second command he gives is in the next two verses. And that is to be aware of God's plan. Once again, he's reminding them that God's patience is for the purpose of salvation. All right? We already studied this. He says, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. And then he says something that's very intriguing. He appeals to the Apostle Paul, doesn't he? And you're going, that is very intriguing. And I, I think scholars are right. In fact, I quote one of them there in your notes. Why, Paul? The opponents have lashed on, it appears, to Paul's statements about freedom in Christ. And they've run with that baby, right? Uh, and you still hear it today. We are a liberated church, right? Or uh, we're, we are a... Uh, we are been freed in Christ. And so there's these liberties and what they could mean by that statement is, you know, anything goes kind of an idea. And that's the problem with the false teachers. And they've twisted Paul's words, and he's saying, no, 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 no. In fact, if anything, Peter's saying, Paul and I are saying the same thing. And the lifestyle of the false teachers seem to reiterate that. I've given you some space there to write in, uh, what does Peter state concerning Paul in his letters? That's just Make a list here, because it's very significant. Yeah, Gary. All right. Some. Careful. 
are hard to, are hard to understand. Aspects. That's true, isn't it? <laughs> if, if Peter can say that, we can say it. Now, he's not saying all of it's not. Some of it's easy to understand. Uh, in fact, there's enough here to apply that we do understand. But there are aspects of Paul that are difficult. Let me get another one from somebody else. But yes, good. Yeah, Romans 9 through 11 with the whole issue of Israel and so forth, difficult to understand. Yeah, and, and we can give other passages. Uh, good. Dick. Yeah, that is so significant. What's he saying? It's a divine passive. It's passive voice. So the implication is the wisdom's from God. It's the same wisdom that God gave all the writers of Scripture. Right? Very significant what he's saying. In other words... Paul didn't, you know, smoke some Mary Jane and then write his text. He, he didn't just, whatever came to mind, he just pinned. No, 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 no. It was overseen by God, which goes back to chapter 1, a text we looked at earlier. Yeah, I saw a hand back. Yes. Yeah, it's consistent. Consistent with what? What's he say? What's he state? as do the rest of, verse 16 ends with the rest of scriptures. That term is used 50 times in the New Testament, 50 times, and it always refers to the Old Testament. What is he doing? He's not only consistent with the Old Testament, what's he saying? It's on par with the Old Testament. That is extremely significant. He's... Uh, yeah, don't get me started. Uh, I, 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 yeah, uh, the, the comment from the peanut gallery over here was, uh, there's a prominent Christian pastor who's, who's arguing the Old Testament is, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's unnecessary for the church today. And, and I hope by now you've already seen in our, our journey through several books the relevance and significance of the Old Testament. Uh, you, you can't stab the New Testament without it bleeding Old Testament. It's vital to the text. And I'm preaching to the choir. So anyway, um, but he's taking Paul and he's putting on par with the Old Testament. That's very significant. Very significant. What else do you see? God's patience. Yeah, I'm talking more with Paul in his letters. Uh... Yeah. So first, another thing we see is he's a brother. Yeah. By the way, I find this very comforting because Peter and Paul, man, they've been duking it out a few times in Scripture. But we see at the end of the day, they're, they're one cause. Uh, and that's significant because there's, there's a few points along the way in the New Testament you don't think they're ever going to get back together, Peter and Paul. What else do you see here in the text? Very significant. Yes. Okay. Okay. 
we're going to get back to this, and you are right. We'll get back to this in a minute. So, uh, thanks, John. Yeah. What else do you see? What's he say about Paul and his letter? Paul's letters. What do we see? What's the, te- what's the state here? Well, it, it says in all his letters. How does Peter know about all these letters? What, what do we see here? A collection going on. A, a Pauline corpus. Appalling letters. This is early. This is in the 60s. And we already see a collection of New Testament writings being. Gary, I'll catch you afterwards. Let me finish here. So we see a collection of New Testament writings. Very significant. Uh, what's going on? Uh, don't miss this. Uh, this. Liberal scholars want to argue well, this is why 2 Peter is very late, because you couldn't have had a Pauline corpus so early on. Why not? Paul tells the church at Colossae when they get done, read the letter that he wrote to Laodicea. And Laodicea is to read your letter. Already, and can you imagine if you're over in Ephesus and you hear that a letter was sent to the church at Rome, you're going to want to read it. You're going to want to see it, right? It's the same idea. Very early on, we see circulation, we see collection. And this, this, this little section has so much to say on canonicity, on inspiration of Scripture, on authority of Scripture, etc., uh, th- this is a gold mine, uh, and it's just an off, kind of off-the-cuff type of reference, but it's, it's loaded. Now, notice what he says, down at the, and I mentioned this at the bottom of your notes, and John, you are correct. John Lieberman highlighted this. The false teachers cannot claim they've misinterpreted Paul's letters. Peter says, some things are hard to understand, but... Things the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction in verse 16. That's very significant. They can't claim they've misinterpreted or they were ignorant, right? The end of the day, the word destruction indicates their culpability. There's enough there to run with, but they fail to receive it. And that is why they are where they are. And I'll tell you, that is the real danger that plagues the church even today. You know, yes, there's things that are difficult to understand. Yes, we probably are not going to solve the, the tension between Calvinism and Arminianism this side of eternity. Yes, we will not solve issues that relate to eschatology this side of eternity. Seven years later, when you see me, you'll know why. But no, uh, for those post-tribbers. Yeah, anyway, we, we could argue all of these things, but there's much that is basic and understandable. And... As Peter states, the real issue is an unbelieving, depraved heart that's, that's turning these things upside down. Well, I'm starting to preach. Let me give you a third uh, uh, then command that Peter delivers, and that is that we are to be cautious of falling, being led astray. The term, the, the term there is apostasy. Moo in his commentary states, Peter is... Concern that believers not view their security in Christ, however understood, and we could debate loss of security, salvation, but to condone a careless attitude towards the struggle with sin. Confidence is our status with Christ should never lead to a presumption on God's grace that leads us to toy with the danger of false teachers or negate serious striving after holiness. Isn't that a great quote? We could debate 
on, on many things here, but the end of the day, you, you got to recognize Peter saying, don't toy with sin. We need to, to hold fast to the things of truth, things that have been entrusted to you. I'm going to argue, just so you know, I would argue that those who do fall away were never truly of the camp, so you now know my theological perspective on the text. But there is, there is a, some mystery here. There is some tension, and I know that. So he says, listen, you got to be cautious of falling away. you got to guard your heart. And again, he's passing that baton. It's kind of like what the grandfather tells the grandkids before he dies, right? Here's some things I want you to remember. And, and be cautious of falling. And then he closes with a very intriguing statement. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. It's the last command that he delivers. And it raises several questions. The first of these is, what does Peter mean by growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord? I think there are two aspects here, and I've placed them there in your notes. The grace is what is rooted in our salvation, isn't it? Uh, Peter highlights that several times, and we, we've talked about this, but to increase in grace suggests advances in our appropriation or experience of the benefits of salvation. Grace is never seen as a static reality. In other words, you're not granted it just to sit on your duff for the rest of your earthly existence. You know that. And knowledge is more than just, it's, well, it implies a personal knowledge of Christ that produces, and we've talked about the knowledge of the Lord that produces virtue. It's not just the cognitive. It affects the effective domains. And thus, as I mentioned there in your notes, it is growth, spiritual growth assumes there is life, first of all. If you don't know Christ, you're not going to grow spiritually because there was no initial phase. And secondly, that growth is essential and vital. It's not optional. And that's what Peter is saying as he wraps up this letter. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. This is not a foreign concept. He highlighted this back in chapter 1, verse 2. Remember this? 1, 2, it says, May grace and peace be lavished on you as you grow in the rich knowledge of God. It bookends this whole letter. Why? Because nestled in the middle of this sucker is the false teachers who, who aren't growing in their knowledge. They're undermining the knowledge of the Lord, and they don't live accordingly. And he's saying, we have to grow in our knowledge of God. If all we do is come to a Bible study and then walk out and say, wow, I can lay out Second Peter, but it doesn't hit our hands and our feet, we got a problem, right? And that's what, what Peter's trying to argue here. We've got to grow in these things. Now, the next question that Ray is raised here is, how does one grow in grace and knowledge? All right? I understand what you're talking about, Peter, but how do we do that? I've given you in that paragraph, I think, the key ingredients. The, the four of these is, number one, it's time in the Word. And you and I all know that, right? Um, <laughs> our daughter's, I don't know if she's coming to her own or what. There was a couple days that were a little rough, and my wife 
said wisely to my daughter, she goes, you haven't been spending time in devotions. <laughs> a bit of frustration, but it's true. I mean, I'm, we're not seeing Christ in you right now. So get back in the word uh, and let us help you with that. I've got some text in James I want you to read, dearest. Uh, yeah, fellowship with fellow believers. No man's an island. We, we need the the body of Christ to speak truth into our lives, to come alongside, to exhort, to encourage. And I think that's one of the ingredients of growing in knowledge. Active Christian service and discipline is certainly there, and avoidance of that which would stifle our growth, i.e. sin, right? Uh, that which would hinder. Spiritual growth is not, well, it's a, it's a gradual process, isn't it? It doesn't happen overnight. It's progressive. It's those baby steps of where you turn around and say, ah, I think I've mentioned John Owen, the Puritan, his depiction of the, the spiritual life. I love it. it he says it's like uh, forging a, a path through a jungle, and you're cutting down the vines and the trees, and you turn around, and some of them are still standing. You thought you slayed them, but they're not, and others are growing back. Some of them are down, but it, it's, it's a process, and um, I think... There's plenty of New Testament texts that would support that. Questions on this? Because I think this is key. Uh, the ingredients to how we grow. The third question, though, is I, I, one that I often hear. Well, how do I know if I'm growing in Christ? And I'm, I'm not going to open it up for, question, or for a response, but usually I'll hear, well, you know, I'm involved in church and I'm doing these things and I give this... That's Martha's response in Luke chapter 10. Really, it's a series of questions or your response to questions that tell me how you are growing spiritually. And that is, what's your understanding of your sin in your own life? You realize, you look at Paul, he said, you know, um, I'm the least of the apostles early on in one of his earlier writings. Then later he says, I'm the least of the of the saints. And he says later, I'm the chief of sinners. Because he understands more and more his own depravity, his own life. The older I get, the more frustrating I become at times with myself going, really? And, and, and that's a sign of spiritual growth, isn't it? Uh, and with that is our attitudes towards the world. Does our heart break when we see a lost world, are we more insensitive to it? How are we doing in that area? And I think the third area, a litmus test of how you're growing, is how is your love for the Lord? Do you long to know Him and love Him more than you did maybe five, ten years ago? There's other questions we could ask, but I think those are three very significant uh, areas to tap into to say, how, how am I doing here in growth? Remember, it is gradual. Um, it's, it's a process. Thoughts on this? Comments? Maybe I'm out in left field, but I... Well, I know the leaders of the conservative church are concerned about biblical illiteracy of the individual Christians. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a great admission. It's true. Yeah, any other thoughts? 
So how are you doing in spiritual growth? <laughs> right? Growing in grace and knowledge. Remember, that was the Paul's accusation against the church at Corinth was they had a lot of fat spiritual babies. Remember that? They're still drinking from a milk bottle even though they're 30 years and 20 years, whatever, in the faith. By now they should be eating T-bone steak. But they're still needing the, the, the essentials and they should be moving forward in their knowledge of the Lord. And again, not just cognitive, it, it affects the effective domain as well. Well, Paul gets done with these four commands and he closes out with a doxology. You would expect that. That's typical of New Testament writings in any writing in the first century. But what is unusual are two things. First of all, did you see it's not to him. It says to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ to him. It goes back to Christ, not the Lord or the Father which is very unusual. Now, there are a couple other New Testament writings that do that, but Peter has a very high elevated view of Christ, which fits with this man who walks so closely with Jesus, right? And then secondly, and I mentioned this, there's not the forever and ever. It's simply, he says, to the day of eternity, which is a very unusual phrase. And it, there's no doubt that he's referring to the false teachers who want to deny the reality that is to come. And so he wraps up this powerful book with exaltation of Christ and a reminder, Christ is returning. And false teachers can say whatever they want. Christ is returning, right? Well, all right, Hoffaditz, thanks. Appreciate that. What do I do with that? On the next page, I quote John Fletcher. Anyone know who John Fletcher is? Where am I Methodist in the room? You should know John Fletcher. He was a dear friend of John Wesley. In fact, Fletcher is considered the theologian of the Methodist movement. Back in the 18th century, he, he leveled, there's more than 11 questions, but I teased out 11 that are spectacular. And forgive me for insulting your intelligence, but I just want to read through these and kind of wrap up this. Uh, and these next several weeks while we're away, I, I encourage you to just, Take these questions and do a little inventory of your own life. He said, number one, did I wake up this morning with my mind on the things of the Lord? Was I watchful in keeping my mind from wandering this morning when I was rising? I must confess there are times when I wake up and my mind is not, I, I, I can't lay there. If I lay there much longer, it's going to be really bad. Because my mind is, is wandering to things that are not of the Lord. I'm worrying about the day or, you know... I don't know what it is, but it's like, I, I can't lay there any longer. I got to get up. I got to get my mind on things of the Lord. Number two, have I this day grown nearer to God in times of prayer, or have I given way to a lazy, idle spirit? <laughs> Great question, isn't it? Has my faith been weakened by unwatchfulness or quickened by diligence this day? Number four, have I this day walked by faith and eyed God in all things? These are, aren't these great questions to, to ponder, to think about? Verse f or number five, have I denied myself in all unkind words and thoughts? Have I sought the well-being of others before myself? Whew, that's a good one, right? Number six, have I made the most of my precious time as far as I had life, strength, and opportunity? Uh, less than a week ago, one of my, you shouldn't have favorites as a teacher, but... <laughs> 
one of those students that I, I would have loved to have cloned, he was definitely in the top five amazing students, was killed unexpectedly in a car accident at age 36, leaves five kids behind. And uh, Patrick was, he's with the Lord, and I was talking to his brother Kevin and, and some of the family members, and they said, you know what, he's with Jesus, but man, this was so unexpected. And I thought of Fletcher's statement. Am I making most? I, we don't know what today holds, right? Um, my colleague who just went in for regular heart exam as echo, and it stopped in the process. And so the whole, everything changes, right? Well, verse or number seven. What have I done this day for the souls and bodies of God's dear saints? Number eight, have I laid out anything to please myself when I might have saved the money for the cause of God? Isn't that a great statement or a great question? I got an email from some folks that said, hey, we got some of God's money and we want to give it anonymously. Uh, so do you know anyone who could use it? <laughs> so, yeah, I know a few people who could use it. Uh, start with myself. No, <laughs> just joking. No, I'm joking, joking. Oh, we had, Lord's give us more than we need. Uh, I said, yeah, I do. I got a single lady that could desperately use some finances. And I, uh, just, I love how they worded it, too. We've got some of the Lord's money uh, we need to give. Number nine, have I governed well my tongue this day, remembering that in a multitude of words there is wanted not sin? So stated in the 1700s. And number 10, in how many instances have I denied myself this day? And number 11, does my life and conversation adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ? So take that, that laundry list of questions, it's tall order, and uh, go through those in the next several days and, and a couple weeks uh, till we are apart, until we return on the 11th of April. By the way, on the 11th of April, we're going to launch into the little book of Jude, a very neglected New Testament book. We'll only look at the first chapter. There's only one chapter. And we're only going to look at the first chapter, and we're going to have the luxury of just taking a couple verses at a time. It is a gold mine, and it's, it's kind of like the minor prophets. They're often neglected, but there's so much there. So we'll, we're going to look at Jude uh, starting on the 11th. And I'm looking forward to our study of that book. And I, I apologize for the, the, uh, this break. Uh, when I'm in Israel, I'll think of you. Uh, and if you would think of us and pray for us, that'd be great. And the fourth page, there's some other... Uh, I know some folks have said, hey, can you give us some things to work on during the week? And that's there for you. Uh, if you're new, we do not take any tests or quizzes the next following week. That is on your own between you and the Lord. But I hope you enjoyed your journey through Second Peter. It is a, uh, this firecracker of a guy, this type A personality has had a few edges knocked off, hasn't he? Uh, you see that in First Peter, but you set, especially Second Peter. And he is gravely concerned about the state of the church. Those concerns are still prevalent today. And uh, may it be our concern as well as we respond biblically. Well, Tom Flynn, you want to come up, and I'll close in prayer, and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this little book, these three chapters. Uh, as as uh, you can just envision, here's Peter knowing that death is imminent, a martyrdom. 
And he's gravely concerned that the gospel will not be diluted, compromised, or even denied among those who have claimed the name of your son. And so he pens this letter concerned of orthodoxy and a reminder that your son is going to return and we need to be found faithful. We need to be growing in grace and in knowledge. And Father, help us to do that. There's a lot to process here this morning to think through exactly how that unfolds and how are we doing spiritually in our walk with you. Father, we don't want to grow old and not grow at the same time spiritually. Help us to be more than spiritual babes, but mature men who are walking with you. Be with each one this week. Guide them, Lord, and as we return on the 11th, I just pray that you'd be with each one. For the health concerns we have, again, we lift up Gail to you and uh, others who are struggling. Some in this room are struggling with family or marriages or the, the breakup of a marriage. Others, it's, it's uh, new employment or it's jobs that they'd like just to end. For others, it's more of a personal matter, uh, struggles. And Father, just lift each man up to you. Help them, Lord, to grow in their knowledge and love of you. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.